You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, for those of you keeping track at home. And I'm sure many of you have probably heard the name DARPA before, at the very least in conjunction with the creation of the Internet, or as it was previously known, the ARPANET. And it is the wonders of the ARPANET by which I'm coming to you today, wherever you happen to be in the world. So I suppose we have certain things to be thankful for, for this advanced research projects agency, don't we? Well, let's start examining that tonight on the program. Here on Corbett Report Radio, for the next hour, we're going to be examining DARPA, what it is, where it comes from, what it's worked on in the past, who it works with, and what it's going to be working on in the future. There's a lot of info I'd like to go over tonight from a lot of different sources. Let's start out with an article from back in August of 2003 from the LA Times, which had a pretty long and detailed article about DARPA and some of the things that it was working on. But let's just read a little bit from uh, from a few paragraphs down in that article talking about the history of DARPA. It says, quote, DARPA was founded in February 1958, four months after the Soviet Union's Sputnik satellite stunned the U.S. with the menacing prospect of being left behind scientifically. The Advanced Research Projects Agency, renamed DARPA in 1972, was formed to make basic research a key element of national security. Roy W. Johnson, a handsome, blunt, and hard-driving vice president at Aerospace Contractor General Electric Co., was picked as ARPA's first director. Johnson set up the agency to find experts in physics, information technology, material science, and other fields, then showered them with funds and freedom. ARPA initially focused on rocketry, space exploration, ballistic missile defense, and nuclear test detection, then broadened its range. Eschewing sluggish peer review of giant proposals, ARPA relied on enterprising program officers, many drawn from academia and industry, who selected projects based on hunches about the future. In the 1960s, you could do really any damn thing you wanted, as long as it wasn't against the law or immoral, said Hersfeld, who directed ARPA from 1965 to 1967. The agency was so open to ideas that in 1958, Johnson recommended paying an 11-year-old boy who wrote in with suggestions on how to build a space station. The letter mirrored military plans so closely that a security investigation was ordered, according to DARPA history. Well, there is the uh, the beginnings of, I suppose, the history of DARPA, and I think we have to do a little bit of reading between the lines to really understand what's going on here and to read the subtext of what this is about, because, of course, DARPA being founded in 1958 by Eisenhower is obviously on the heels of Sputnik in 1957 and the Red Menace. So it goes back to the old Cold War shenanigans that was used to justify all sorts of expenditures back in that particular era of world history, in the exact same way that uh, the basically the War on Terror boogeyman has been been the excuse for the justification of all kinds of ex- expenditures in our day and age. But interestingly enough, you might recall that it was a mere two years after founding DARPA that uh, Johnson gave his farewell speech in which he famously coined the term and made the, made it famous, the military-industrial complex, and warned of the rise of this power, this nexus of power, 
between private industry and defense, uh, the defense department, the defense contractors and the department becoming this, this type of behemoth that could not be easily, uh, easily dealt with even by a president who was nominally in control of the country. And I think Eisenhower's predictions have become stunningly true as we see things like DARPA and the way that the defense contractors have merged with the government itself into a fascist conglomerate has really proven to be that nightmare that Johnson was warning us about low those many decades ago. So tonight on the program, we're going to break down some of DARPA's previous projects and take a look ahead at what it's working on next. And you have to hear some of these ideas to believe them. So on that note, let's take a short break. We'll be right back after these messages. Introducing The Last Word DVD. For the first time on DVD, you can own all seven episodes from the first season of The Last Word video series, including The Last Word on Terrorism. You see, to Kissinger and the other adherents of the globalist ideology, terrorism is simply a word for any act that threatens the agenda of the globalists. The last word on CCTV. But there is something more fundamentally troubling about this entire CCTV surveillance grid than mere hucksterism. The last word on utopia. The most pernicious evil always presents itself as something necessary, something transitory, a mere waypoint on the road to the land of milk and honey. In this way, the masses can be led to not only tolerate the most intolerable conditions, but actually to support those who would seek to rule over them. And the last word on independence. It is a choice that we make each and every day to live in independence or in slavery. Every day is Independence Day. The last word DVD. Buy your copy today at CorbettReport.com. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio, friends. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. I'm your host and guide for the next hour of radio transmission. As always, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com coming to you from the palatial home broadcasting studios here in Western Japan. Tonight we're talking about the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, better known as DARPA. The Blue Sky Research and Development Arm of the United States Department of Defense that is probably best known for some of its wacky ideas, because DARPA is one of those agencies that functions something like a venture capital firm where it invests in projects that are high risk but high reward, expecting a lot of them to fail. And this is kind of the method that they've set up, this is how they operate, and in many ways, this leads to the ways that DARPA is often covered when it is covered at all in the media. So if you went and uh, searched DARPA on your search engine of choice, hopefully a privacy-respecting search engine like startpage.com, you'd find all sorts of articles talking about some of the wackier ideas of DARPA, and even a few talking about some of the projects that that did work out and and that have uh, basically become part of our daily 
daily life. But uh, but I think both both ways of covering it, just looking at the crazy ideas and then looking at the successful ideas, kind of misses some of the underlying point of what DARPA is really about. But we'll get back to that in a moment. First, let's take a look at some of that coverage of DARPA and some of its ideas. And first, we'll take a look at what DARPA what makes DARPA somewhat unique in the government bureaucracy red tape superstructure. And for that, we're going to turn to nakedlaw.avo.com which is not nearly as exciting as the title might suggest. And they had a title, uh, they had a story titled 12 Insane But True DARPA Projects. And in that, it had this interesting little tidbit about DARPA's legal exemptions. Quote, part of what makes DARPA so successful is that it's exempt from laws that stifle most government agencies. Specifically, DARPA isn't subject to Title V of the Federal Acquisition Streamlining Act of 1994, which sets up all sorts of red tape for hiring and managing personnel. DARPA also has the option of funding projects through Other Transactions, which is a special power granted by Congress to avoid the red tape normally associated with federal grants. As a result, DARPA has a largely unrestricted $3.2 billion pot of money to use, like a venture capital firm would, doling it out to high-risk, high-reward projects, expecting a minority of them to produce amazing results. Much of the money is granted to civilian firms all over the country who are free to operate their businesses as they please as long as they produce results, which is why DARPA has been called 100 Geniuses Connected by a Travel Agent. And then this article goes on to talk about some of the things they're working on next, which we will be getting into later in tonight's episode. But first, let's take a look at some of the things that they've done in the past, some of the projects that they're better known for. And again, as I say, a lot of the coverage of this, uh, when it comes to coverage in the mainstream type uh, news and media, it's often going to concentrate on a lot of the really out there, wacky ideas that have been floated and and approved as potential projects in the DARPA research and development uh, production line, but that have never come to anything, obviously, because some of them are just such on their face ridiculous and wacky ideas that one has to scratch their head and wonder how it ever got government funded. But then again, that's what government funding is for, isn't it? So let's take a look at some examples of that. For example, we have NewScientist.com. Back in May of 2008, had this article, 50 Years of DARPA, Hits, Misses, and Ones to Watch. So, for example, they go and highlight some of the big success projects that most people are probably familiar with. Um, well, they're almost certainly familiar with in their daily lives. Maybe they do, maybe they don't know that it eventually, that it originally uh, was developed in DARPA projects. One of them being the internet, as we mentioned before, the ARPANET network that was built in the 1960s, specifically as a communication network that would be self-healing and able to uh, basically survive any type of cataclysmic strike like a nuclear war with the the Soviet Union, what have you. And that is the backbone of what became the Internet. And, of course, it led to the TCP IP specification that we still use today, although people might have noticed in the last couple of years that uh, they're talking about building a new military IP specification that uh, that will be funded again by DARPA in conjunction with uh, defense contractors. Anyway, some of the other successful projects in DARPA's past that are often touted, GPS... Uh, here's one, speech translation. It says, although not yet available to consumers, handheld language translation devices developed with ARPA funding are already being used in Iraq. Although accuracy can be as low as 50%, the devices have met with favorable reviews from forces on the ground. 
So there you go. Uh, the speech translation is already here. I have seen it demonstrated at a Microsoft uh, uh, conference recently, I believe as part of the Windows 8 launch. I'm not really sure what it was about, but uh, but speech translation, simultaneous uh, speech translation is already here and is uh, is only getting better with each passing day. So it's something that we're going to be, I'm sure, incorporating into our daily lives in the future. Uh, some other success projects of DARPA, uh, Stealth Planes and Gallium Arsenide, a uh, semiconductor material. At any rate, the failed projects, which everyone loves to talk about, some of the crazier, wackier ideas that DARPA has floated around in the past include Hafnium Bombs. In an episode reminiscent of the Cold Fusion debacle, DARPA forked out $7 million in the 1990s for research into a bomb predicted to release huge gamma ray bursts without creating any nuclear fallout. The theory that was hitting a, the theory was that hitting a small amount of a radioactive isomer of the super expensive metal hafnium with X-rays would release this torrent of energy. No proof this could happen was ever found. Uh, the mechanical elephant, frustrated by a lack of decent tarmac in the jungle, DARPA sought to create a mechanical elephant during the Vietnam War. Its vision of high-tech Hannibals piloting through t- through the forest never came true. It is alleged that when the director heard of the plan, he scrapped the damn fool project immediately in the hope no one would hear about it. Telepathic Spies One of the agency's most infamous blunders was its 1970s psychic spy program inspired by reports that the Soviets were researching the area. DARPA invested millions to see if telepaths and psychokinetics, who claimed to move objects using thought alone, could carry out remote espionage. They couldn't. Future Map This program hoped to use a kind of terrorism future market to predict key developments and even attacks. It was thought market valuations of possible future events could reflect the probability of their occurring. However, Future Map was scrapped in 2003 after the notion of betting on terrorist atrocities was called ridiculous and grotesque by U.S. politicians. And Orion. Set in motion shortly after DARPA was created, Project Orion aimed to drive its inter- an interplanetary spacecraft by periodically dropping nuclear bombs out of its rear end. The entire craft was designed like a giant shock absorber with the back covered in thick shielding to protect human passengers. Concerns about nuclear fallout and the signing of the Partial Test Ban Treaty ended the project in the early 1960s. Alright, so those are some examples. You can find many, many, many more online of some of the weirder, wackier, crazier ideas that DARPA has floated in the past and not really followed up on. But it's interesting to look at some of these. Uh, for example, the future map technology that they talk about, which was a terrorist futures prediction market that they planned to set up where people could basically bet on whether or not events were going to happen, where they were going to happen, how they were going to happen, how badly they were going to affect people, etc. And through that futures market, they would be able to, in a way, predict the future because markets tend to diverge on or tend to converge on the most accurate information available. And that is an interesting idea because it was not a technology that failed because of anything to do with the technology. It failed because people realized what it could and inevitably would be used for, which is actually something of a 
an, an anomaly because usually um, people would look the other way at the idea, oh, you, you believe that people would actually use these terrorist future markets to make events happen? Oh, what a conspiracy theory. But no, that's exactly what people realized as soon as it was proposed. And back in this August 2003 LA Times article that we were looking at earlier, it mentions this future match map project. Quote, Over the years, millions of taxpayer dollars have been spent on a variety of projects, from telepathic skies and jungle-tromping robotic elephants to its most recent fiasco, FutureMap, an online futures market designed to predict assassinations and bombings by encouraging investor speculation in such crimes. Morally repugnant, said Yale University economist Robert Schiller. A sick idea, said Senator Barbara Boxer. Unbelievably stupid, said Senator Byron L. Dorgan. It's the type of criticism that DARPA is not only used to, but also lavishes on itself. When we fail, we fail big, said former DARPA director Charles Hersfeld, summing up the agency research disasters in an official 1975 history of DARPA. So there you go. The LA Times mentions Future Map, but writes it off as just another crazy idea that uh, was floated around. But it's only crazy because it would inevitably be used by insiders to actually make events occur. Because once again, if you're allowed to bet on events and you can make those events happen, you can bet there will be people who will be definitely trying to do that exactly as we saw happen with 9-11 and the futures gambling that was going on with the derivatives, the put options on various companies in the lead up to 9-11. And again, for more on that, I hope people will turn to something like uh, Black 9-11 uh, by our previous guest on this program, Mark Gaffney, that goes into some detail about that. But it's not a difficult thing to understand, and it's probably not something that was not understood by the people who proposed the future map idea. Another thing to keep in mind with these so-called quote-unquote failed projects of DARPA is that, well, not necessarily all of them are failed. In fact, wouldn't it be a great thing for a defense advanced research project agency to do to announce that people to people that they were going to look into this or that technology and then to announce to people, oh, it failed, there was nothing there? Wouldn't that be a very good cover if you were trying to cover what it was you were actually doing? I posit that to you as just one of my crazy conspiracy theories about what DARPA is doing and what its public face is really there to do. Let's take a short breather and we'll be back with more about where DARPA is going in the future after this break. All right, welcome back to the program, friends. We are back here on Corbett Report Radio talking about DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, and some of their crazy ideas they've had in the past and some of the ideas that have become a mundane part of our everyday reality, including Internet and GPS and other such inventions. Well, let's turn to the question that everybody always has when it comes to DARPA, which is, what are they working on next? Because maybe that will give us a glimpse into the future. And interestingly enough, the question of what are they working on next is not necessarily up to them. It may be up to you. Let me introduce to you Fang. What if you could design the next generation amphibious infantry fighting vehicle? Over the past 50 years, not much has changed about how we design and build defense systems. But what has changed is that they are many times more complex than they used to be. When systems have to be designed, built, tested, and then redesigned, and then rebuilt and retested again and again, timetables get longer, 
and costs go higher. But what if you could help us break this cycle? What if together we could develop a complex defense system five times faster? These are the DARPA Fang challenges: fast, adaptable, next generation, ground vehicle. The Fang vehicle will be developed via a series of three increasingly complex design competitions: one for mobility and drivetrain, one for chassis and structure, and one for the full vehicle. Each challenge will have a winner, a cash prize, and then the winning design will be built in the foundry. To participate, you don't need experience designing military ground vehicles, but you do need the ability to apply your imagination as well as your technical and engineering aptitude to create innovative solutions. Log in to the Vehicle Forge website and follow these steps. First, it's up to you to think it. By creating your Fang design, share it with others using our online collaboration tools. Win it by submitting your design and getting the best score, and then we will build it. By using the Fang toolset, the winning design will be correct by construction. It will not be a prototype, but rather a full-scale production model. We want to generate revolutionary ideas and new concepts by democratizing innovation and lowering the barriers to participation. To do this, we need innovators. We need you. After registering online, you'll be given access to the vehicle specs, an online library of component models, and our design tools. Then it's up to you. And you don't have to be a part of a big company or an expert in everything to join in. Go it alone. Or form teams and collaborate with other innovators from across the country. Submit your proposed Fang vehicle, and it will be scored by an objective online evaluation system. Teams will be given their vehicle score as well as feedback, and then, time permitting, they will have a chance to revise and resubmit. At the end of each challenge, the team with the highest score wins. The winning design for each of the three challenges will be built in the iFab foundry. A network of manufacturing facilities capable of rapidly reconfiguring itself to produce a vehicle according to your design specs. Once built, the Fang vehicle will roll out of the factory, ready for evaluation by the U.S. Marine Corps. What if you could design the next generation infantry fighting vehicle? This is your chance. Go to www.vehicleforge.org for more info. So, what does this all mean? The Fang Challenge, the design a next generation military ground vehicle idea, is, I think, a very interesting idea because it is an example, a, a kind of refreshing example, I suppose, of the government、uh, bureaucracy taking advantage of what the era that we're living in of crowdsourcing, which is something that I have often tried to、uh, let my listeners and audience know about and to get excited about. In the same way that I guess、uh, DARPA TV is trying to get you excited about it, the idea of coming together to actually use our pool, our resources, use our combined intelligence to create something greater than we could on our own. It's a pretty basic design principle, and in fact, most design processes. Actually, already employ this idea of putting things through successive generations of designs, where basically you get teams working against each other, and you have 
a little bit of competition between them, and that creates the atmosphere that creates and drives and spurs the innovation that eventually creates the next the next wave of thinking. And again, it's a pretty basic idea, and it can be applied to all sorts of things, including even such things as the alternative media. If we collaborate together, and if we uh, if p- there are people out there who can chop a bit out of one of my broadcasts and put it together with something else that that helps illustrate what I'm talking about, it can absolutely, truly have an incredible effect in terms of being able to combine resources and ideas. But unfortunately, uh, well, DARPA is trying to use this to design the next best killing machines and uh, basically to to better subjugate everyone to the rule of the U.S. military. So obviously this is an idea that I don't think we should get behind, but it is an interesting idea nonetheless. And it goes to show that the key part of DARPA is the D. It is the defense, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And of course, in military, in the government doublespeak that passes for our political language these days, that does, of course, mean offense. It means military. It means warfare and bloodshed and killing. Of course, they can't call it that, so they call it defense. But the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, even though it's interesting to note, ARPA has become DARPA, has become ARPA, has become DARPA a few times in its history. They've dropped and added the D several times. But at least since 1996, it has been firmly the DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And to that end, everything they do has to have a military application or military purpose. And when we start looking at some of the other interesting technologies they've been working on that could very well literally shape our future, it uh, it's interesting to note that the researchers stress, even in their own documents, that yes, it's uh, for DARPA, so we had to have a defense or military application in our grant proposal. And, uh, and that's just the way it works. When the money is coming from the government for defense purposes, they're going to be able to tell people what they want, and they're going to be able to use it to basically perfect the killing machines. And on that note, we have some very, very terrifying killing machines on the way, thanks to the good folks at DARPA. So I'll let you in on some of those ideas and proposals coming up after this break. Let's take another short breather. And when we return here on Republic Broadcasting on Corbett Report Radio, we will continue breaking down DARPA and exposing some of the next generation of killer robot technologies. All right, friends, we're back here on Corbett Report Radio, and tonight we are talking about DARPA. We're taking a look at this government agency and some of its ideas, proposals, inventions, technologies, things that it has spearheaded in the past and what it's working on for the future. And we've looked at, of course, the fact that it is part of the Defense Department. It is a defense research agency. It is looking for military applications and military technologies, and it is unabashedly doing so. It it makes no bones about the fact that it is working on military technologies, or at least potential military technologies. But it's also important to understand how there's another piece to that puzzle. The other part of that fascist pie is, of course, the corporations that support it and make it possible with their own ability to uh, to supply some of the industrial capacity and industrial know-how as well. And it's important to understand that nexus of government and corporations, those, that fascist nexus, nexus that has developed and, and really taken hold over, at the very least, the last half century since Eisenhower started started implementing some of it in his own administration and then warned everybody on his way out the door. 
Well, let's take a look at where that's developed and how that's developed uh, to to this point, because it's interesting to see that some of the uh, the technologies that we think of as being iconic technologies of various private companies, in fact, stem from DARPA projects. Funny how that works. So let's take a look, for example, at this interesting article from pcpro.co.uk, 10 Brilliant DARPA Inventions. And here they go to talk about some of the inventions that maybe you don't know stemmed from DARPA projects, including, well, number one, the internet. Of course, we've been over that, the ARPANET. But number two is interesting, Windows, the World Wide Web, and video conferencing. It says, you may think you've lost the plot now, since we all know Microsoft invented Windows or should that be Apple, and Tim Berners-Lee was the genius behind the web, but DARPA had a hand in both, courtesy of NLS. The online system was the brainchild of PC mouse inventor Douglas Engelbart, who in 1961 proposed to the Director of Information Sciences of the U.S. Air Force Office of Scientific Research to develop a comprehensive framework for augmenting human intellect. Engelbart's work on NLS, later known as the Augment System, included the first use of on-screen windowing with a mouse, without which there couldn't have been any GUI or Microsoft Windows. NLS developments also included the first practical use of hypertext linking, which proved the concept could work in the real world, and without which, the World Wide Web wouldn't have been invented either. When Engelbart demonstrated NLS to the public in 1969, he combined leased telephone lines, a PC, and a 22-foot-high screen with video inserts courtesy of a projector to allow his team back at the labs to join in the demo. In effect, this was the birth of online video conferencing. Who funded this research? DARPA, along with the U.S. Air Force and NASA. So there's another thing to add to uh, to DARPA's uh, long list of achievements, and one that, strangely enough, they don't really seem too eager to take credit for. That, But there it is, the World Wide Web, and oh yeah, Windows, the whole Windows concept actually stems from DARPA and this government research lab. What else comes from this? Well, how about Google Maps? DARPA beat Google to the street view thing, complete with cameras on car roofs, by almost 30 years. In the summer of 1979, a group of MIT Architecture Machine Group students funded by DARPA demonstrated the Aspen Movie Map on video disc. Not only did the interactive map let users travel through the Colorado City and even enter selected buildings virtually, it also included options to time travel to see what the historic buildings looked like in the past. Then there was that Google-alike video car with four gyroscopically stabilized 16mm cameras mounted as an array, capturing images every 10 feet. The measurement of that capture rate distance was a bicycle bicycle wheel being towed behind the car. The resulting images, along with other data, were then transformed into a 3D multimedia representation of the area. Why would DARPA want to fund such research? It seems to have stemmed from the Entebbe airport incident when Israeli special services soldiers stormed an airplane at the Ugandan airport to rescue hostages, and it emerged they had trained for the mission using a replica of the airport itself. The notion of using interactive movie maps in order to familiarize soldiers with territories for missions were born, and as was the Aspen movie map project. Interesting stuff. So, so far we have Microsoft having stolen some of its technology ideas from a DARPA project. We have Google taking one of its 
trademark emblematic uh, flagship ideas from a DARPA project. Well, how about uh, how about Apple? What have they had from DARPA? Oh yeah, that's right, Siri. The Siri voice recognition system embedded in the latest iPhone was born out of DARPA research. Apple acquired Siri, the company and the technology it had developed, in 2010. Siri was founded in 2007, but the original research upon which the technology was built, Cognitive Assistance that Learns and Organizes, aka Kalo, was funded by DARPA in order to develop better tools for soldiers in the field. Along with the personal, personalized assistant that learns, PAL program, DARPA has been researching the concept of voice recognition combined with artificial intelligence since 2003. Inspired by the Latin colonus, or soldier's servant, the Calo project ended in 2008, having gone a long way towards reaching the aim of building a cognitive assistant that learns from experience. It's been replaced by BOLT, or the Broad Operational Language Translation Program. Bolt aims to take Callow to the next level, from being a bridge between man and machine, to a bridge between people themselves. Its goal is to provide translation of foreign languages, extract contextual information from those translations, and by doing so, enable soldiers in the field to maintain fluent bilingual communication without previous knowledge of the language. Bolt isn't only about spoken language. It will also allow accurate and contextual translation from SMS and email. So, long story short, Apple also got one of its trademark ideas from DARPA-funded research. Some other things in this go on. It goes on to talk about Unix and and the cloud, uh, GPS, uh, internet anonymity, and the world's fastest airplane, all coming from DARPA-funded research projects. But I think it's important to stress just how insidious that 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 nexus of pr- public and private the the fascist nexus that is at the heart of these types of programs is and the fact that uh, that yes darpa is in some ways almost inseparable from google and microsoft and apple and the other big companies whose technology feed off of these funded projects and i'm not just saying that there are things that we can look to for even from the outside to back that up for example back in march of this year we had this headline from activistpost.com director director of darpa departs pentagon for google further reinforcing government ties and this article says, quote, Regina Dugan, the director of the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, will be leaving the Pentagon's mad scientist research agency for the corporate big brother known as Google. Dugan has only been at DARPA for less than three years and was offered and accepted a senior executive position with Google, according to Eric Mazzaconi, a spokesperson with DARPA. Mazzaconi added that Dugan felt she could not refuse such an offer with an innovative company like Google, which also has a close relationship with the American intelligence community. And that article goes on from there. Lots of good information in there. I hope you'll check it out in the show notes for tonight's episode at CorbettReport.com. But yes, long story short, again, there is a revolving door, and DARPA people go into Google, and uh, F- FDA people go into Monsanto, and vice versa, and it's all just one big fascist uh, nexus. And uh, of course, people pretend that this isn't the way that government is meant to function, 
but it is, and it's how it always inevitably develops, and there's nothing that, no regulations you can put in about it. This is what government is. It is a big trough to be fed from by the big boys with the big connections, and it is a revolving door and a nice cushy uh, parachute landing for anyone who's looking to retire in style uh, from one government agency into one of the uh, the companies that they were supposedly looking after, or however that works. And here we see it again with DARPA and Google. So no real surprise there. But another interesting aspect of that article we were just looking at from PC Pro, internet anonymity comes from DARPA. Well, how so? It says, privacy, anonymity, and government agencies aren't natural bedfellows, but bear with us. Those who care about online privacy privacy, will probably have heard of the Tor Privacy Service, which, when used in conjunction with the Tor Private Browser, offers possibly the most anonymous method of being on the internet. The core principle behind Tor, namely onion routing, was originally funded by the U.S. Office of Naval Research in 95, and the development of the technology was helped along by DARPA in 1997. Three years later, the Tor network emerged as a direct result of the earlier DARPA-funded network. The earlier DARPA-funded work, I should say. Well, that's significant because, once again, I've heard from a lot of people who suggest Tor as being some sort of one-stop, one-size-fits-all great idea for online anonymity. And I always have my doubts about that, and even more so when I find out that it originally stemmed from DARPA-funded research. But I don't just say that just based on the fact that it was funded by DARPA-funded research. For people who are interested in the actual technical details of how Tor could be used as a potential honeypot, I would once again direct you to a very, very interesting article from Cryptagon from back in 2007, High Traffic Colluding Tor Routers in Washington, D.C., and the ugly truth about online anonymity. And he breaks it down in some degree of technical detail, how you can't really trust Tor or other networks like that, even though they are touted as being the be-all and end-all of internet anonymity. Well, so that goes to show that there is some deep collusion going on between DARPA and uh, the various companies out there and various ideas that are being floated around, even among the alternative media and in the alternative uh, paradigm. Oh, well, use Tor. It'll it'll protect you. Of course, it comes from DARPA-funded research, and there are these uh, wa- routers in Washington, D.C. that seem to be uh, places where, where there might be significant spying going on on Tor traffic. But trust us, it'll be okay. Well, of course, again, once again, the question is, what are they working on next? And, well, some of this has to be seen to be believed. So if you're listening in Radioland, I hope you will go to CorbettReport.com in a few hours when the video of tonight's episode goes up. And you can take a look at what uh, one person on uh, JuniorDeputyAccountant.com calls the creepiest thing I've ever seen. And there's a post up about DARPA cheetah robots and other types of robots that DARPA is developing that really are absolutely terrifying. Uh, And there's no other word for it, and there's no real way of putting that into words. You really do have to see some of these uh, machines that are moving in ways that are absolutely utterly authentic, in ways that if you didn't know it was a, a metal exoskeleton there, you would actually be thinking that it, it was a real person or a real cheetah or a real whatever. The way that it moves is absolutely becoming, well, quite quite 
I don't know what to say, quite horrifying in a way that I think everyone instantly recognizes. And thus on the YouTube uh, videos of these robots, you'll see all sorts of comments talking about Skynet coming, etc. And it's not really a joke. I mean, this is obviously how artificial intelligence will arrive and how it will develop and how it will be uh, more and more integrated into our lives. Thanks to the good folks at DARPA. What else will be integrated into our lives thanks to the good folks at DARPA? Well, how about smart dust? But in the future, every square inch of every city will be alive with intelligence. Because every street and every building will have a network of microcomputers built right into them. Dr. Chris Peaster calls it smart dust. A smart dust particle or moat is a wireless sensor with sensing, computation, communication, and power in one package. These all-in-one microcomputers will be small, very small. The size of a moat today is about the size of a grain of rice. And we've shown that we can make the circuitry small enough and light enough that eventually it will be possible to make things that are on a sub-millimeter size scale. Tiny specks of computer smart dust will form a vast invisible network that can help manage the infrastructure of even the largest city. Smart cities in the future will take this low-power, inexpensive, small technology and basically distributed everywhere. These tiny computers record information about their surroundings, information they can send to other computers or to you. Smart dust on the tracks will monitor your commuter train so you know if it's running late. Potholes will be able to report themselves and warn your car, and you'll never have to wait for a radio traffic report again. They're monitoring the flow of traffic and giving you alerts about what route is the, the right way to go to keep the traffic moving. Bridges will get a coating of smart dust particles that can warn us when they detect stress fractures, helping avoid deadly collapses. But smart dust will also allow buildings and streets to recognize you and respond accordingly. I think increasingly, the environment will respond to who we are and adapt in consequence. The city will know where you are if you want it to. Your workplace will know you. Smart dust at the entrance will boot up your computer. And smart dust embedded in the elevator doors will automatically ring your floor. Smart dust is going to sense the environment and allow us to improve the way that we live our lives. No matter how we live in the future city, it will be radically different. Do I really have to articulate what's potentially scary about such a scenario? I, I don't think I do, but for those of you who are paying attention, I, I'm sure you already understand this. For those of you who, who are hard of thinking, uh, yes, the idea of smart dust literally being in the air around us, being constantly present, ubiquitous everywhere we go, watching over everything we do and sensing and recording data and sending it wirelessly through networks to the uh, whatever mother database may exist. Uh, yeah, there's something really, really uncomfortable about that because, of course, it will be in the hands of government agencies that are funding the research into this technology through things like, oh, DARPA. Yes, DARPA was one of the, uh, the the agencies that was funding some of the original smart dust research and came up with some of the original ideas for this, which was then developed into a Berkeley uh, robotics engineering project uh, that ended that itself ended in 2001. And at that point, they were able to get uh, uh, down to a cubic millimeter 
device, a device that is one cubic millimeter, one millimeter by one millimeter by one millimeter big, that was able to uh, to function with a sensor, power supply, analog circuitry, bi-directional optical communication, and a programmable microprocessor. And that project ended in July of 2001. July of 2001, and well, uh, that was uh, 11 years ago, and things have progressed quite a bit beyond there. There are reports of uh, of it having reached the the nanometer, uh, or the micrometer, uh, sorry, scale now, so that they are now working on things that really can't even be seen by the human eye. And uh, I would, I think, we'd have to be naive to believe that that type of technology didn't exist and wasn't already being used. But there you go. Here's another point where we run into the brick wall of our own ignorance because we're not being told what's being worked on behind closed doors. So who knows how far this technology has already been created and already implemented to some degree. And I'm sure we will never know until it's already too late for us to do anything about it because that's how these types of secret government projects always work. But I do have at least one idea of what we can do to crowdsource our way out of this DARPA mess, or at least hopefully out of this DARPA mess. So stay tuned right there. More after this. All right, friends, we're back on Corbett Report Radio. And tonight we've been talking about DARPA, and of course we've uh, we've cited a lot of different articles and videos, etc., so I will put the links in the show notes for tonight's episode at CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. I hope you'll go there to check out those links for yourself and start researching this for yourself. And on that very note, I have my own idea of how we can at least start to better inform ourselves of what's going on behind the scenes so that we can hopefully do something about some of these technologies falling into the hands of the defense military industrial complex. And we can use the exact same ideas that uh, DARPA itself is using to fund uh, and to create the next generation of military vehicles as they're asking for people to design the next uh, the next tank or what have you and uh, send in their ideas and use crowdsourcing in that way and offer prizes. Ooh, it can make, it can make killing people across uh, halfway across the world seem so fun and great. Well, why don't we use crowdsourcing in our own way? We have uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, hopefully millions of people connected through the alternative media around the world who are able to, uh, to at least each of us can spend a little bit of time looking into these types of issues. Well, why don't, uh, why don't people help me out? Because obviously I can't possibly keep my eye on all of the things that DARPA is doing, but if you come across any interesting projects that DARPA may be working on, why don't you let me know and I'll help pass that information along. And just as an example, I might point you to an interesting DARPA project list that's on technovelgy.com, and of course I'll put the link in the show notes, and it has literally dozens and dozens and dozens of projects and programs here, and it has information on each of them. So I don't have time to go through all of them, but some very interesting looking ones, including cyborg cyborg insects and cyborg sharks and uh, squishbot chembots that can squeeze through small spaces and uh, silent talk telepathy for soldiers, flying insects... Uh, big Dog Robot, all sorts of interesting projects that apparently are being funded and are being worked on right now and are at various stages of coming to fruition. 
So why don't people out there, why don't you take a look at a list like that or wherever you get your information on DARPA and let me know what you find if there's anything particularly interesting that you'd like me to bring to the attention of people out there and we will crowdsource our way out of this problem, I hope, out of this mess and towards an, at least an understanding of what's being done in in the name of the uh, the American taxpayer, at any rate. And on that note, we're going to wrap things up for tonight's episode of the uh, the broadcast, and we'll be back tomorrow night with Lorette Lynn, a.k.a. the Unplugged Mom, talking about peaceful parenting and what the true intergenerational revolution is going to be about. And then on Thursday night, we're going to have Carrie Lutz of the Financial Survival Network on the program to talk about financial wealth, prosperity, savings, and how to store your wealth and savings for the future. And then on Friday night, we're going to have some open phones and so go over some news headlines. I'd just like to remind people, of course, that I do have the DVD multipack still available for sale. And uh, once again, this is all five of the Corbett Report DVDs, including two data DVDs that themselves each contain over five gigabytes of information. Literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of media here on these five discs available for a discounted price. Please go to CorbettReport.com for more information on that. CorbettReport.com slash support. And subscribers, of course, can find the link for the heavily discounted version in their subscriber newsletter. On that note, that's going to do it for tonight. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, thanking you wholeheartedly for tuning in and not dropping out from tonight's transmission. Looking forward to talking to you again 23 hours from now. So until then, thanks for listening, and take care.